Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The New Statesman. I'm Ida Vok, Europe correspondent at The New Statesman. And you're listening to World Review, a twice-weekly international news podcast. Every Thursday, we come together to unpack some of the most significant stories in world affairs. And every Monday, we interview a guest for their unique perspective and expertise. Today, I'm speaking to Philippe Sands, professor at UCL, and the author of East-West Street, about the crime of aggression in international law and efforts to hold Russian leaders accountable for their war on Ukraine. Philippe, thanks so much for coming on. We've had a couple of conversations about this in the past week, so in the past few weeks. So I thought it would be good to to talk about it on the podcast too. And I wrote this piece that came out last week about the crime of aggression and efforts to hold Russia accountable for it. And you're one of the leading voices as part of this this legal movement. Can you explain to us what the crime of aggression is and how Russia is potentially guilty of it? Just to give a bit of background, there have been since 1945 four international crimes, war crimes, crimes against humanity, and genocide. The fourth was at Nuremberg called Crimes Against Peace, and today we call it the crime of aggression, waging a war that is manifestly illegal under international law. And since Nuremberg, in fact, very little attention has been given to the crime of aggression. It wasn't an issue, for example, in from Yugoslavia or Rwanda. It pops up from time to time, but it's never been addressed by international courts or tribunals, although it was integrated into the statute of the International Criminal Court, and the court has had jurisdiction in relation to some cases of it, but not in relation to Ukraine. So the crime of aggression essentially is a leadership crime. It is limited to those at the top table who are actual participants in the decision to wage an illegal war. And so when the war began in February 2022, I was asked by a British newspaper to write 700 words, and I focused on waging an illegal war and the crime of aggression. And the article that I wrote ran, and one thing led to another. And we now have a situation in which about 40 countries are supporting the creation of a special criminal tribunal for the crime of aggression. What remains to be decided is what sort of a tribunal. And 
how come this is the first, apparently the first serious movement of prosecuting the crime of aggression since World War II? There, there have been plenty of wars of aggression since World War II, and um, including some launched by Western countries, as you've been a leading voice on. And yet this is the first war that really seems to have catalyzed a movement to prosecute the crime of aggression, prosecute the leaders responsible for triggering this war for aggression. So why is that? I'd say that there are a lot of elephants in the room. After 1945, the five big powers, China, Soviet Union, then Russia today, France, the United Kingdom, the United States, had a sort of confluence of interest in keeping the crime of aggression really low grade. They all had their own exposures. They all had their own interests in not putting the accent on the circumstances in which wars began. Pretty recently, of course, we had Iraq. In my view, I wrote about it in The New Statesman, the manifestly illegal war. The deputy legal advisor at the Foreign Office at the time, Elizabeth Wilmshurst, resigned because in her resignation letter, she made clear she did not feel able to work for a government that was engaged in an activity that amounted to the crime of aggression. And so there's a sort of com common interest between the big powers. And then, of course, Russia and Ukraine comes along. And Ukraine, essentially, I think, catalyzed by the article that I published, the foreign minister gets in touch and says, we really want to run with this and put this full front on the agenda. And Dmitry Kuleba does run with it. President Zelensky supports it. And Ukraine puts the crime of aggression really at the center of its diplomatic effort on the legal side of issues, along with the terrible war crimes and crimes against humanity that are happening. And I think the fact that President Zelensky has pushed it meant that various countries had to revisit their traditional opposition to the crime of aggression. I think it's fair to say for the first six months after the article that I wrote was published and various meetings were held and governments of Central Europe and the Baltics began to support the idea of a special tribunal, the British, the French, and the Americans were not exactly brimming with enthusiasm for this idea. But they have, over time, shifted. I think the French government was the first to budge. And once the French budged, then the Germans budged, and then the British budged, and then the Americans budged. And they've all now come out in support for the really, I think it's the first time since Nuremberg, of some sort of a tribunal on the crime of aggression. But this is where the rubber hits the road. What sort of a tribunal do you want? The big powers, the British, the French, the Americans, would like basically a Ukrainian tribunal with an office in The Hague. They call it a hybrid tribunal or an internationalized tribunal. I wouldn't put too much into what things are called. And the main concern that they have is that this exercise will create a precedent, and they want to avoid a situation in which this precedent is used, I think, against them in the future. And they think that the way to do that is essentially create something new, internationalize something Ukrainian. Ukrainian, and I think the Ukrainian position, and I think they're right, is to go for a proper international tribunal. Your listeners may ask, what difference does it make? The difference that it may well make over time amongst various differences is who can claim immunity. 
from such a tribunal. The full international tribunal, there's a decent argument that the people right at the top of the top table, that's to say Mr. Putin, Mr. Shoigu, Mr. Lavrov, maybe the prime minister, but that's about it, would have their claim to immunity severely undermined by a full international tribunal. But they would be able to claim immunity much more easily in front of a Ukrainian tribunal. And that really is the nub of the issue that is being discussed. And the big elephant in the room is the question of a precedent. Put simply, London, Paris, and Washington are asking themselves the question, if we create a special criminal tribunal on the crime of aggression today in relation to a permanent member of the Security Council, why can't they turn around and create one in relation to us next time we get ourselves into difficulty? That's the issue that is on the table. Of course, that concern was not on the table back in 1945 at the London meeting that created the Special Criminal Tribunal, but it is now very much on the table. There's one other thing that I think is worth mentioning, and it's this. Ironically enough, back in 1945 at the famous London meeting that created the Nuremberg Tribunal and put the crime of aggression into its jurisdiction. It was the Soviets who supported it. The British, the French, the Americans were lukewarm or opposed, but the Soviets really pushed it. It was the idea of a Soviet jurist, Aaron Trainin, and he pushed and got it in. And ironically enough, immediately after the war, three countries put into their domestic criminal law, their penal codes, the crime of aggression as it was in the Nuremberg Statute. And those countries happened to be Belarus, Ukraine, and the Soviet Union. And to this day, the crime of aggression exists in the three legal systems that are probably most directly affected by this conflict. And I think that provides the solution for the eventual way out on this question, what sort of a tribunal do we want? Well, even back then, there was a healthy dose of hypocrisy and double standards because, of course, the USSR invaded the Baltic states and annexed them as what would today be considered a war of aggression, I think. so. Hypocrisy and double standard have a good run in our times, it could be said, as they probably have in all times. Wherever you are in the world, if you're interested in global affairs, you can subscribe to The New Statesman in digital, in print, or both from as little as £1 a week. That's 12 weeks for just £12. That's one euro a week in Europe and just $2 a week in America. Just go to www.newstatesman.com slash podcast offer. From the New Statesman comes audio long reads, the best of our reported features and essays, read aloud. The expensive house that sucked up a lifetime's wages became the savings account, the pension, the inheritance. That wealth is now beginning to dissolve. Featuring writing from our authors, including Will Dunn on The Great Housing Con, Why the Coming Crash Will Rewrite the Economy, Sophie McBain on What's Behind the Surge in Adult ADHD Diagnoses. It's not pure coincidence that ADHD diagnoses have risen alongside the internet's attention economy, a vast infrastructure that has been designed to capture and monetize people's focus. And Carl Uwe Knausgaard on why the novel still matters. The poet Rainer Maria Rilke once wrote that music could lift him up. Of course, there's nothing remarkable about that. Only he then added, and put me down somewhere else. I recognise that quote so well, especially when it comes to literature. 
ease into the weekend with our audio long reads, published every Saturday morning. Just search Audio Long Reads from the New Statesman, wherever you get your podcasts. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's quite a nice segue into the next very thorny issue, which is, of course, the, the issue of selectivity. There are a lot of countries in the world which view which would view the prospect of a special international tribunal or some kind of tribunal for Russia or for Russian leaders for the crime of aggression as simply an, an issue of selective justice. They think that basically the West wants to hold Russia accountable for the one war that it cares about and escape accountability for its own wars and the other wars that have affected countries in the global south. And through my conversations, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems that this has practical as well as symbolic implications. For example, if no country would necessarily be obliged to cooperate with the tribunal, and that would mean that as long as Russian leaders avoid going to countries that are cooperating with the tribunal, which would be many in the global south, most likely, they could essentially escape arrest, escape being held to account. How do we deal with this issue? First, you're absolutely right to to raise this. It's a real issue. There have been wars, of course, since 1945. In recent times, Georgia, Crimea, Syria, the Congo, several that I've been involved in doing legal work. So I'm in Iraq, Palestine, Israel, and many others. So the question of double standard really is pretty much center stage. And a lot of countries are saying, okay, we can see there's a problem with what's going on, but why this? Why now? Why 
have you chosen to go forward? And of course, one thing that one could put on the table is that when the war is in Europe and it involves blonde, blue-eyed folk, all of a sudden everyone in Europe is happy to take the refugees who come from that place and happier to think about creating a special criminal tribunal for the crime of aggression. It's a real issue. And I think the only way to address that issue is to recognize it, to accept it, and to undertake to address that double standard by redoubling our efforts to give the International Criminal Court in The Hague proper jurisdiction for the crime of aggression, not the limited jurisdiction it has been given. And also to undertake that when other wars happen, as they surely will, the Western powers will recognize that the legality of the war and crime of aggression is an issue in all of these wars also. But you raise a related point that is already in our inboxes, and that is the ability of those who are indicted, whether publicly or secretly, to be able to travel abroad. Your listeners, you'll be aware that the International Criminal Court has issued an arrest warrant, an indictment for President Putin. It has done so not in relation to the crime of aggression. It doesn't have jurisdiction over the crime of aggression, but in relation to an allegation of a war crime, the deportation of children from Ukraine to Russia. The effect of that arrest warrant being issued is that any country which is a party to the statute of the International Criminal Court will now have an obligation to arrest Mr. Putin if he sets foot in their territory. That's a treaty obligation under the statute of the International Criminal Court. And we're coming up at the end of the summer in September, I think it is, with a meeting with the BRIC countries in South Africa, which Mr. Putin has indicated he may be minded to attend. This, of course, is a real headache for South Africa. What do they do? Do they indict him and then arrest him? Do they invite him and then not arrest him? They've got a problem. They've had this problem once before with the president of Sudan when he traveled to South Africa. And the courts wanted to act, but the executive effectively let him off the hook and let him out of the country. And he and he left without being arrested. You know, the issue on the table here is again the acceptability around the world of the kind of arrest warrants that are issued in this particular case. Now, one thing that does seem to me clear, you might ask yourself the reasonable question, why has the International Criminal Court issued an arrest warrant in relation to Vladimir Putin? My view is that it's pretty clear that they've done that. The prosecutor has done that in part to head off the creation of a special criminal tribunal for the crime of aggression. One of the arguments for creating such a tribunal is that it's the only way that is guaranteed to get to the top table. With the other crimes, war crimes against humanity, it's very difficult to prove a connection between the top table and the crimes that are committed. And the International Criminal Court, the prosecutor has persuaded a panel of three judges that there's a reasonable argument on the basis of their evidence President Putin has been involved in the deportations that have taken place, but I mean, proving that will not be straightforward. I suspect the prosecutor of the International Criminal Court would have liked to have had Mr. Putin indicted for other crimes. I'm a parent, I have children, so the deportation of children is pretty nasty. And if it's happened, as it is alleged, that would be a war crime, so it's serious. But in the scheme of horrors that have been taking place in Ukraine, 
I'm probably not alone in not putting that particular horror right at the top of the pile. And so it has raised questions. Why that crime? Why now? And I think the answer to that is Turf, the prosecutor of the International Criminal Court, is opposed to the idea of the creation of a special tribunal for the crime of aggression. And the reason for that, I fear, is not an issue of principle, but an issue of turf. He doesn't want a parallel institution created. So these issues are complex in, in a range of different ways. And that does make them interesting, but it's also an important moment because it is the first time since 1945 that there's been serious discussion about such a tribunal. I think it's also worth mentioning that how one creates such a tribunal eventually, if it's a full-on international tribunal, is going to require some sort of an agreement between Ukraine and either a group of like-minded countries or Ukraine and an international organization. The logical one would be the United Nations. There was such a tribunal created, for example, not in relation to aggression, but for other crimes in Sierra Leone. But you would then have to put the matters of the General Assembly, and you'd have to get a pretty decent vote through the General Assembly. And that brings us to the question of the views of the Global South, who at this point are not exactly enthusiastic given the kinds of issues that we've been talking about. So there are political issues as well as legal complexities. And just finally to wrap up, what would be the consequences if this were to fail? This isn't this isn't the first war of aggression since 1945. The previous ones have not been prosecuted. So what would, as you said, this is the most serious attempt to prosecute the, the crime of aggression since Nuremberg trials and the Tokyo trials. But what happens if you and, and Ukraine and the people trying to prosecute this crime fail and it proves too difficult, too politically complicated, too legally fraught? Will it just mean that the crime of aggression is a paper crime that's too difficult to, to prosecute in any circumstances? What happens? It's, it's a really good question, I don't. When I wrote the article 24th, 25th of February 2022, to be honest, I thought it was the right thing to propose. But if you had asked me then, what are the chances of this actually happening? I would have said pretty close to zero. And it obviously touched a nerve and many people ran with the idea and came up with their own versions of the idea. And it got off the ground. And once an idea is off the ground, it's very difficult to put it back down on the ground again. And so it has taken off. And now I think it's more likely than not some sort of special criminal tribunal will be created. I'd be very surprised if none was created. But of course, that's not the end of the issue. What then matters is what that tribunal does. Can it get people within its jurisdiction? Can it bring people to appear? There's an issue of trials in absentia. I'm personally not in favor of such trials. How do you judge success? And that's a fair question. I mean, I think at one stage, I'm pretty satisfied that the issue of the crime of aggression is back on the agenda and is being talked about. It didn't get this kind of resonance 20 years ago in relation to Iraq. It should have. And I regret that very much, and I lose no moment to say that. But it is now getting attention. I think if there's no tribunal created, no investigations, no indictments for the crime of aggression. I think essentially you're pretty much writing off the crime of aggression. And the reason that I say that is in relation to Russia and Ukraine, you're back to the very same territory where the horrors of 
addressed by the Nuremberg Tribunal in 1945 occurred. And this would effectively be saying that in the same place, but 80 or 90 years later, we no longer care about the illegal use of force on this massive scale. Let's be clear about it. This is not isolated attacks. This is a massive use of force in the heart of Europe, exactly where force was prohibited and judged 85 years ago. So it would be, I think, a very significant moment either way, whether it happens or whether it doesn't happen. And for that reason... Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. I think many countries want it to happen, and the issue now will be not whether it happens, but how it happens. But judging success, as I've said, is going to be no easy thing to do. All right. If you're interested in this issue, you can read my article on the New Statesman website. Thanks so much for coming on, Philippe. That was a really interesting discussion. Very good to speak to you. This has been World Review from the New Statesman. You can read all our international coverage on newstatesman.com. If you've enjoyed this episode, please do leave us a rating and a nice review. Our producer has been Adrian Bradley. Hold up. 